G'day and welcome to Nowscast, brought to you by Nows Group, an international management consultancy. I'm your host, Ari Sharp, and in this series of Nowscast, we're looking at some of the projects we've undertaken at Nows over the past few years. You'll get to meet the clients we've worked with and the Nows consultants who supported them to meet some of their biggest challenges. Today we're finding out all about ABARES, that's the Australian Bureau of Agricultural and Resource Economics and Sciences. ABARES was looking for ways to refresh its operations so it remained a strong and trusted source of information for the federal government. ABARES invited NAUS to undertake a strategic and operational review, which led to recommendations for significant change in the organisation and a program management office to make it happen. Along the way, we'll hear about what changes were recommended at ABARES, the strategies to get staff on board and the lessons for a leader guiding an organisation through uncertain times. Joining me from Canberra is Jared Grenville, the Executive Director of ABARES, and Andrew Benoy, a NAUS principal who worked with ABARES on this significant transformation. And a little later, we'll hear from Tessa Daring, a NAUS organisational psychologist who helped win internal support for the changes. Let's get into it. Jared, if I can start with you, many people in Australia have likely heard of ABARES but are not too sure what it does. Can you tell us a bit about who ABARES is and what your role is? Yes, certainly. So ABARES, the acronym stands for the Australian Bureau of Agricultural and Resource Economics and Sciences. And what we are, we're the research bureau of what is currently the Department of Agriculture, Water and Environment. We'll soon be transitioning to the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry. Um, and we undertake a range of economic and scientific research into Australian agriculture and, and fisheries and forestry sectors, really with a view of supporting industry and, and government decision making. So we do things like looking at the status of fish stocks, um, how the plantation estates evolving, um, looking at agricultural markets, valuing the size of the agriculture sector, looking at issues like natural capital, drought, um, and a range of things, climate, trade, and the like. And, and Jared, before NAUS was engaged to review ABARES, can you tell us about the challenges you're facing and the opportunities that you saw on the horizon? Yeah, I think it would be fair to say that ABARES was operating in a bit of a contested environment before the review came along. Um, there was a view that we were perhaps not working to our best um, and also potentially not working to our best in, in supporting the departments or the or the government's kind of objectives of the day. Um, and we were, I guess from my own personal observations, we weren't having the kind of relationship with some of the senior executive and importantly the minister uh, that we would have liked. So um, we always position ourselves as a trusted advisor to the department and government and I think we were falling a little behind in that, that space. Um, and to the extent that there could have been a view that you know, people were a bit suspicious about what we were doing, how we were setting our work plan, you know, where we were directing our effort. Um, and so I guess if you start off in that situation, it's clear that there's plenty of opportunities, um, but there's also plenty of risks, including existential ones. Um, and so there was a number of opportunities around and putting you know, forward what ABARES does, its value proposition, where we, we could go, really kind of plugging us back into being that trusted advisor. Um, as we want to really engage in the way that the department was formulating its policy. And Andrew, if I can bring you in here, you were engaged to undertake a review of ABARES. Can you tell us about what that involved? As, as Jared mentioned, uh, the, the review itself was, was fairly fundamental and existential in nature. So 
uh, we, we went back to, to first principles and really looked at the whole strategy, purpose and operating model for, for ABARES. So that involved quite an extensive scan of its external operating environment and also how the operating environment and priorities within the department with, within, within which ABARES is located had evolved and changed. So that meant um, looking at what sorts of public value ABARES was creating at the moment, what sorts of public and private decisions it was informing both within government and within the private sector and not-for-profit sector as well. Um, looking at the extent to which its current priorities, outputs, work plan, et cetera, was aligned with those broader priorities. And then also looking at the extent to which it was delivering that value efficiently and effectively. So um, it, it was a wide ranging review. We looked at strategy, work plan, purpose, um, workforce capability and culture, systems, digital platforms, etc. And at the end of it, we came up with a pretty um, comprehensive and wide-ranging set of recommendations from the review. So it sounds like a pretty comprehensive review. Jared, what was the experience like, like from your perspective? I think for people within ABARES, it was, it was relatively painless, I would say, but except that it did prompt some you know, questions and, and thoughts around who we were, where we were, engaging um, and also in doing that um, it's always sometimes uh, I guess a confronting question to ask is you know why are you here and can you tell me what value do you think you're bringing um, and so that did cause a little bit of stress and some friction at the start but I think once people realize that actually these are the type of questions and the type of accountability that, that we should really be bringing to ourselves um, and it's not the fact that someone's asking you those questions that you should be worried, this is bread and butter of how we should be going about our business, that it was was quite, you know, became quite beneficial. Um, I think that apart from that, you know, the experience of the NAUS team and being able to bring together those broad range of stakeholders that, that Andrew was mentioning really meant that the work was done by them and we weren't, you know, having to constantly be brought in to put things forward and the like. So it was really, you know, a, a fairly good experience in that, that process. I mean, I know I was a senior executive at the time um, and... You know, there was it was a, a fairly low cost but a useful thought-provoking exercise for us internally. Can you tell us about the recommendations that came out of it? Yeah, um, as Andrew mentioned, there's you know it ranged across a, a broad range of areas, and I guess at a high level, there was five kind of key recommendations that the review landed upon, um, and each with a range of sub recommendations. Um, at the high level, these were themed around really ensuring that ABARES focus and capability was aligned with the priorities and the strategic requirements of the department, um, reaffirming that ABARES was an independent source of agricultural and other data research and advice, um, which is something that's kind of core to the, the ethos of the place. Um, there was recommendations about redesigning our external offer and how we placed in, in that external stakeholder field. Um, reforming uh, our role really in reforming the governance of agricultural statistics um, and also the modernisation of the collection of those statistics um, and also equipping ABARES with uh, the technological infrastructure that we needed to really modernise our offer which would underpin some of those other aspects. So really they ranged from you know the way we did our work um, and also a number of recommendations for us to step into spaces that were being vacated by others, particularly around the agricultural stat system. Um, the other thing that I think that they did 
really was provided much needed backing for some of the reforms we're trying to undertake ourselves, particularly with our infrastructure and trying to modernise our, our efforts. So, you know, I'm sure that many people who are listening would be aware of the tech debt that, that exists across a number of areas. And we're, you know, certainly no stranger to that. Um, but this is something that ABARES had really reached a break, breaking point. Um, and, you know, we had a whole bunch of competing objectives, including objectives, you know, from broader across the department. So, it was really important as a, as a step to give us the, the licence to operate in that area and to kind of advocate for, for a step up in the way that we do things. So that was quite, quite good. Um, the other thing I think that came strongly out of the review was really, you know, a focus on relationships and much of a focus on external relationships um, and raised, you know, some pretty, you know, um, good kind of issues around those that we, we needed to address. But it struck me then that, you know, if issues existed in our external relationships and there was likely to be issues in our internal relationships and the way the Bureau operated. So that was another good thing that came out of the review in terms of, uh, I guess, the subtext of the recommendations that were made. Right from the very start, um, it was really important to, to ABES and to us that the, the process and the outcomes of the implementation were owned by ABES and led by ABES. So um, the the work of the implementation marked quite a change in terms of our role and how we were, were partnering with ABES. So with with the review that preceded it, it was very much a traditional we're we're a we're a third party, we're maintaining an arm's length and, and a degree of objectivity so that we can make appropriate review findings, whereas the actual implementation was uh, a, a lot more collaborative and a lot more working alongside rather than at, at a distance. So to that end, um, we worked with, with the senior leadership team uh, within ABARES uh, to set up 11 discrete transformation projects and those projects were mapped to clusters of, of recommendations in the report and those projects range from culture change and leadership, enhancing IT infrastructure, um, partnerships and also uh, work plan prioritisation as well. And the ABARES exec went through a very uh, a, a fairly considered process of identifying and sponsors and leads for each of those streams. And then we worked um, with each of those leads to um, scope and design um, specific projects and, and sub-projects um, underneath each of those streams as well. In order to, to manage the, the implementation holistically, we set up a program management office. It was a fairly um, light touch one. We wanted to, to develop one that was fit for purpose for the nature of the work that we were doing and not, and not overly burdensome, but whilst also providing that, that additional layer of coordination and governance. So um, through the PMO, we we're able to provide um, expert advice for, for certain transformation projects. So we brought in a range of um, now subject matter experts um, to bolster the, the team that also rolled over from the review, review project. Uh, we're also able to provide um, regular reporting to the ABARES executive and deputy secretary and also the broader ABARES staff, just to give a clear sense of progress and momentum, um, give you a sense of what how, how we were going against each of the priorities, what risks were manifesting and how we were managing those. And then most importantly, um, by, uh, we use the PMO really to, to check in regularly with each of the leads and the teams that were managing each of the transformation projects to provide coaching, mentoring and, and quality assurance. And that meant that we had a nice regular um, rhythm um, and ensured that there was that, that layer of, of, of accountability uh, as well that I talked about. Um, 
just just reflecting on my own experiences in the implementation, um, as I said at the start, it, it was a very different uh, way of, of, of working. So I think um, I and the rest of the team had to resist the urge to step in and, and, and do the doing at, at various points because I think that's our, our natural way of working as consultants. We just want to, to jump in and, and help getting things done. But um, yeah, it was really important for us to work alongside and support and enable rather than rather than actually do the doing. And I think um, ultimately that, that hopefully um, led to a, a, a better outcome in terms of um, outcomes that were actually um, sustained since since the implementation work that we did last year. But I'm very keen to, to get Jared's perspective um, as, as the, on the other side of that as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would I'd jump in and, and say a number of things you touched on, Andrew, already. Um, so for us, like, you know, trying to, I guess, you, you know, if you don't, implement the recommendations you know what are they they for and i think the way that we approached it was you know in line with with some of the things that andrew has touched on so for me there was four kind of key things that were really important in that whole implementation path and the first one andrew mentioned was for us to own them um it's not every day you get you know constructive feedback and you know you've got to really make make use of that and so we really needed to approach it that, you know, this was something that we had agency over um, and staff had agency to really take forward. Um, and that was really important in terms of trying to build that momentum. Um, and and so that was a key aspect. Um, second one, and this was where, where NAUS was particularly helpful because I don't think, to be honest, we would have been able to do it otherwise, um, was to break things down into doable actions and steps. Um, we were implementing this alongside BAU work um, there's there's a big workload. We needed to really break it down into things that we could we could do alongside that workload, um, but also you know show that we were making progress because there was expectation that we would get there. And so those eleven transformation projects was really were really important. Um, the the third thing I'd say was being accountable. Um, and again, this is where NAUS really stepped in and, and helped us be accountable, reporting on those tasks, um, reporting them to department senior executive, to including the secretary. Um, just to make sure that we were going, establishing those clear lines for responsibility between what was the recommendation and, and the action and then who was going to deliver it and how we were going to know whether it was done. Um, and I think the fourth one for us was really to ask for help. Um, there were several points we got along the process where you know, we were trying to you know, push things along and you know, usual BA work would crowd out and so forth. And, and being able to ask now to... To, if they could step in and go a little bit further, you know, the things that Andrew were talking about, just to help us really keep the momentum and getting those things, um, you know, achieved was was really important. Um, and so that's, I guess, from from my perspective, what was you know made this this actually work. And can I ask you, Jared, about the outcomes? Could you measure the improvements? And what did your staff say? Yeah, I think we could certainly measure improvement number areas, and and in others. This, you know, we're, this is a long process and some of, the, some of the recommendations and some of the things we want to do from this are, you know, uh, a forever thing as opposed to, uh, okay, we're done, we've ticked it off. Um, but I think at a high level, we've, some of the things that have been really, I guess, apparent and that we measurable kind of success is that we've been able to articulate our strategic focus um, and we've also seen a noticeable step up in engagement with the department and those relationships internally. And I think the strategic process has become, or focus of the Bureau has really become important as we've moved in with the change of government and being able to articulate that. And to also, 
let's show that it's it's robust. We've picked out the longer things that are important for the sector, which are getting picked up irrespective of the flavour of the government. Um, I think that's been quite a, a useful and tangible outcome. Um, we've had you know some really strong positive feedback from the department secretary around the way that the bureau has positioned itself, um, including with ministers um, and with the department and on controversial topics. And we shifted from a I guess a view of suspicion to one where they were quite supportive of us to be involved, particularly in public arena and the like, um, talking on issues of climate and, and the like, and, and that was a bit contested under the previous government. The other thing that's been, been important is, is our culture work, particularly the internal culture. Um, and so we've taken, uh, I guess, a few targeted surveys, but this is one which is really a, a long-term um, thing, which is shown as a you know, something that we need to continue and we need to embed in who we are and what we're doing. But in terms of what staff are saying, and this has been, I guess, particularly nice to see that, you know, I've had a number of staff come up and say that they've seen a noticeable change in the Bureau, but I've also had quite a few staff who had left come back and contact me and say, hey, you know, I've heard things are really starting to change in the Bureau and the culture and things are starting to work. So I think we're getting that momentum going. Um, the thing for us, and importantly, would be to keep that going. Um, and because it's not a one-off, it's not something we can just say, okay, we've achieved. Um, it's something that needs to become who we are and needs to be, you know, our every thought, not not just a, a, a one-off task. And Jared, if I can give the last word to you, over the, the past 12 months, you've, you've led a pretty significant program of change. What advice would you give to other organisations that are undertaking similar change? That's a good question. Um, so thinking about that, I'd say one of the, the biggest bits of advice I'd say is giving staff agency um, in order to own the recommendations was extremely important. Um, I think it's got to always, you know, with change management, like people have got to see themselves in the change that is coming and not be afraid of that change. It's not something that's happening to them, but it's something that they have that agency and ownership that they are affecting themselves. Um, and so I think that was really important, particularly for our start, because it opened the door that, you know, hey, this is something that we are in control of. This is something that I can help define and own and go forward, and therefore I can see myself in that change. So I think that was really key. Um, second bit of advice I would say was, you know, it's a marathon and not a sprint, um, particularly with our climate, cultural work, our cultural change work, um, but also across the board. So. Some of the things that are really important, you know, in that context is, you know, repeated messaging, um, persistence, um, and being a f fully aware that you're not going to win the first time around on all these things, and it's going to be turn up again and again and again. Um, and so that's really important. Um, the the other thing is is when things get uncomfortable, to to be okay in that situation. Um, the particularly culture work. You know, brought up a number of uncomfortable things and so comfortableness in uncomfortable situations is and dealing with that ambiguity is also a really important thing particularly as a leader um, and to be able to show that you can you can sit in that situation and deal with it um, and I think it provides a bit of confidence for the staff around you. Jared Greenville and Andrew Benoy thanks for talking to the NASCAST. Thanks very much for having us along. Thank you so much Ari. After speaking with Jared and Andrew, I was keen to find out more about how the team won over staff for this big and complex change. For that, I needed to speak to Tessa Daring, a NAUS principal in our Melbourne office and an organisational psychologist. It would have seen probably out in the literature that a lot of change 
um, projects fail. Um, and, and I think it's really about um, having really good planning in, in place. So I can talk a little bit about that. Um, and first and foremost, it's having really good leadership buy-in. And you would have just heard from Jared. I mean, um, you can see there how passionate and how committed he was to the change. And so the really the first key focus area for us was not only getting Jared on board, but the, the whole of his leadership team. Um, and, and then the, the level of leaders below. So we spent a lot of time um, helping the leadership understand and take ownership to, you know, around the need to explore culture and uh, among other things and the corresponding changes that might be needed. So if we found that, you know, there are always strengths in every organisation, but often there are areas for improvement um, and even the best organisations are um, or teams are, are still wanting to improve. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that they knew, you know, there'll be some things that probably need to be adjusted or changed as a result of the work. Um, so we met regularly with the leadership team throughout the project. Um, and then as we moved to implementation and, and exploration, they ended up taking a different cultural change focus area um, to be champions for and, and played a leadership role in that space. So um, it's important that you look, you think about the word champion. So we, they deliberately weren't leading the, the stream. We had stream leads in place, but just were someone that could be have that senior leadership buy-in, be involved and provide direction, but not necessarily have to be the seen as the lead of that change. And I'll talk a little bit more around that, what, what we did there. Um, and we know every individual contributes to and shapes culture. So important that we, we got the leadership buy-in, but um, we also needed to think about how we could help every individual make the changes that they, they needed to enact the culture change. Because if we're not all changing a little bit individually, we just won't see that culture change stick. Um, and so from early on in the project, we tried a range of data gathering techniques. So everyone within ABARES had uh, an opportunity to contribute to, um, identify both the strengths and development areas. And so um, pr pretty pretty common um, data gathering techniques that, that people would have seen, you know, things like surveys, really targeted surveys too. We did we use bespoke um, surveys in this instance, just because then we could, um, we knew the audience was, audience was really practical audience. And so needed to make the questions, you know, quite tailored for the that audience and also um, written in a way that they'd understand and, you know, and um, be energized by the survey and not put off by it. Um, and then we also ran some focus groups, which got groups together um, and helped the leaders sort of facilitate leader-led discussions. And so, um, this was just a really important way of getting everyone, you know, involved in the change and starting to provide some feedback. And Tessa, can I ask, what sort of response did you get from staff? Were some of them a bit sceptical of the change and how did you win them over? Yeah, great, great question. I think we always have, have sceptics and we need we need sceptics, I think, in any, in any change. Um, and it ensures that us as change managers are really thinking deeply about what we need to do to, to get that engagement. Um, and so had a range uh, had a range of, of reactions. And so one of the things that we were keen to do is when we actually were delivering the change, we set up work streams. So each focus area had staff um, on them. Um, and regardless of level, they would nominate to be work stream lead. So we made a particularly key uh, point not to have leaders, uh, like formal leaders in those roles, but actually gave an opportunity for staff to. Um, and so it, we think that peer to peer connection with skeptics is really powerful. Um, and it also meant that um, you, we worked really well at getting people engaged and taking ownership of, of the initiatives. 
Um, and so we helped get them started, but then phased ourselves out over time and they're still going. So I think that's a, a great thing. What I find is often you get a skeptic in say a focus group or um, when we're starting to devise what we should be doing or what the challenges are. Um, and people might mention a range of challenges. And so there are techniques you can use that ask them to help solve them. So for example, um, someone might mention, it doesn't have to be a skeptic, could be anyone, um, could mention that communication is an issue for instance. And then what we would do then is, is ask that question back and say, well, what do you think we need to do to help improve it? And so as soon as you mention a challenge, you've almost got an action on top of that, that staff are coming up with themselves. And so um, that gives people ownership of the change again. And, um, and, and often all of these actions feed into a broader change plan. Um, and so then the, the, those that are probably a bit more sceptical can see that momentum um, shift and, and see, oh, I mentioned that in this, this focus group and now I see it's something that's really happening. So um, it's important that we, we try not to rebut, um, rebut sceptics and try and win them over, but actually just listen and understand what's driving this for them. Um, and then once you understand why they're saying it, whether it's, you know, past experience and they, you know, we've tried change before and it hasn't worked, um, you can then help develop strategies to help them move in the right direction. Um, and it's interesting, though, because often it's the people that are neutral that need the most attention in a change process. Um, and that, and the reason for that is, you know, skeptics, we know where they stand on the perceptions of change, but the neutral people are those that are kind of, kind of on the fence and could go either way. So it's, yeah, I think that's probably a little tip, you know, when you're looking at change is to think about that, that mid-group. Tessa Daring, thanks for talking to Nowscast. Great. Thanks for having me. That was Tessa Daring, a NAUS principal. You can connect with Tessa and Andrew, who you heard from earlier, via the NAUS website. That's www.nausgroup.com. While you're there, check out our case studies and thought leadership insights. That's it for this edition of NAUScast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.